Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today's episode features Meg Vicaria. Meg is the co-founder and CEO of Integral Studios, an artist services company that builds tools for music industry professionals, including SZA, Travis Scott, Lil Yachty, and more. Listen in as we break down his background of how he pivoted his career from tech into the music business and where Meg sees the future of the entertainment industry. And now, hosted by Harry G., this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog. Info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, cause we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Really understanding how to engage properly with your fans is super important, which I guess that's why you guys have Symphony now right? Like you're, you're enabling artists to really connect with their fans. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's also like just going through this experience of talking to all these people over the years, you start realizing like the things that we take for granted. And I say we as like more tech for people, most artists don't really care about or know about. Like, for example, like we're always sharing files on Dropbox or Google Drive, you know, but for music, like you share notes apps, you know, you record something, you download the wave or mp3 and then you share with the notes app you send it via text on iMessage as a note you know you don't dropbox it or google drive it in a lot of cases it's a different work for even like google analytics right we kind of take it for granted like as a tech kid it's like all right yeah put it into google analytics into your app like see all your data we do that all the time for websites no one's asking us about that on the other end you know the artists or labels don't care they're just like oh like what are the numbers you know how's it going but they're not going to log into google analytics and like figure out what the data looks like or analyze it. So it's just like these things that we kind of take for granted as kind of obvious in more of these tech enabled worlds don't really exist for these creators because they're just like, they're creators. They're like, all right, like, let me get the music done. Let me get it out to my people. Like, let me just do what I got to do. And that's like, what's exciting. Cause like now we're in this world where the creator economy, quote unquote, like everyone's hyped about it. And everyone's talking about it where people are finally looking at artists and created as businesses and there's finally a technology built for these kind of users that have a very different mindset, very different approach on how they build things, very different kind of day to day. And it's cool because it's like, all right, you, we can build tech that's like actually fun. These are creative people. They want to use things that aren't like the traditional black and white enterprise style software that a lot of tech companies use. So what's been your most exciting project to be working on? I mean, actively at Symphony. I mean, do you mean like historically or do you mean right now? Not Symphony. Symphony's your baby. Yeah, obviously you're excited about that, right? But what I want to know is like for another client, what project piqued your interest the most that um, I guess was most exciting to you and your team? Man, that's a, that's a good question. It's been a lot of projects. Um, man, you know what the most fun project I ever worked on was? was There was an app for Lil Yachty that never came out. And we worked with this creative director, Mihalo. Shout out Mihalo. He's like a legend out of the Toronto scene, actually. But we worked with him. And we built an app. This was in 2017. And the app was like an interactive world in 2D. So you could like scroll around this like interactive world. It was like all like animated. And there was like merchandise, tour, jukebox to play music snippets and all of that. And the idea was like it was Yachty's world. So like we built it in a way where we could add things and remove things from the world at any given time. And so it was like a real time kind of infrastructure around it. So the idea was like, all right, like, Say he wants to do a merchandise pop-up, right? The fans that have the app 
would see a new like you know they'd see like an icon they'd see like a tree that said merchandise on it right it would only be there for an hour they click on that and buy this exclusive merchandise that wasn't available anywhere else and it was this concept of building like this community around this app where they're now part of this world and can now interact with it it's a living breathing world it had like a day and night cycle too we made like two different types of assets like after 6 p.m it'd be the night scene you know, in the morning, it'd be the day scene. Um, but that was a really fun app. It never ended up coming out, unfortunately, because of label stuff. But, you know, it was like a four-month project, very fun to work on. And I'm seeing a lot of those principles now come to life in like Web3 and crypto and you know, the idea of communities and artist communities, right? Like being able to own your community, own your fan base, and be able to talk to them whenever you want, promote things to them whenever you want. It's funny how kind of these things... Um, manifest in new kind of ways with technology i'm excited about that side of things as well which we haven't talked about that but web3 is very exciting to me yeah let, let's talk about that but I, before we jump right into web3 i'm just like trying to wrap my head around this little yachty world like this sounds so cool and like i can't believe that they didn't roll this out yeah yeah man it was a lot of work because we had even had like the, my favorite feature actually was it was called the yearbook Right. And so what we built is essentially an unlimited yearbook where like we 3D modeled a book that had unlimited pages in it and anyone could like draw on the yearbook. And so it was like this yearbook that was going to only be open during that summer and it'll be locked forever. And so if you got to draw something in the yearbook, your thing would be in there immortalized forever in the app. And it was a super cool concept because it was like, all right, like I have this like living, breathing space that like reacts and I can see what everyone else is is writing you know, you could write hey I'm, I'm i'm harrison i could write yo i'm meg and everyone else would see that in real time that was a super fun project i'm sick and never came out because that was probably the most fun thing i worked on and like also an exploration of a lot of different ideas coming together at once i'm very big on like artist worlds you know like how do you build a world around a, a release a rollout and that was like a very interact way of manifesting that um, and I feel like a lot of a lot of artists don't really manifest their worlds interactively. You know, they have their videos, their their music, their cover art, all of that, their tour. But I, I don't see a lot of things that are like interactive in the sense of like letting fans participate in a direct, like you know, actionable way. You're absolutely right because there is so much that can be done around that space. That's sort of like what the company that I'm working at now is working on, like these sorts of like engagement campaigns for marketing. I'm not going to get into that right now because this is this is the Meg show. <laughs> but there are things that are starting in different ways for artists to engage their fans and really develop more of a community feel. But I love this idea of like the yearbook. Like we're talking about Web 3.0 for a second, right? It's like, you could literally mint that as an NFT. There's so much that can be done off of that idea that you guys never ended up rolling out with Lil Yachty. And I think it was a really great idea that could be rolled out in a different way now for a different artist. You guys already have the stack for it. 900%. You know what I realized though, is like after, you know, early on 2016, 2017, it was very cool building artist apps, artist websites. But I feel like those kind of died off for a lot of artists because Instagram and TikTok and like, these like content platforms became so much more popular. That's why Web3 is very exciting to me because it's kind of a return to form of like owning your community, having your own place where fans congregate through Discord, for example. But I feel like we saw kind of a trend of like, here's a sexy artist website. This is a place your fans will come to consistently. And then like Instagram started adding features like the swipe ups and like places to have your links. The link trees became very popular. 
Um, and that kind of concept, like a crazy artist world kind of died with that. And like, I can't remember the last time I saw a website, maybe it was like Billie Eilish's rollout, right? Like I think for the first album, she like made a crazy website, which was like a 3D room. You could look around in it. But I feel like a lot of fans aren't like, besides hyper fans, like a lot of fans don't really go to websites anymore. They just interact and get content from Instagram or the TikToks or the YouTubes. They click on links to platforms that are big. They don't congregate anymore. But going back to Web3, that kind of pattern might be coming back where like you own something, you're part of the community, you're interacting. And maybe the Instagrams and the Facebooks will slowly die off and then it'll be more community focused. I love going into like Discord or like Telegram chats, you know, meeting new people, talking about things that I'm interested about because that's like kind of how you learn and get ahead. And like, especially like if, you know, you're into like this whole web 3.0 world with like cryptocurrency and NFTs and like this new technology and blockchain, like all these things that, you know, a lot of people are laughing about, you know, they're, they're laughing about it because, you know, they don't understand it, but like, this is the future of technology. It's the future of how people engage with one another. You know, NFTs is like the future of how art is. hundred percent. What are your thoughts on like music and NFTs? Like what are your overall high level perspectives? Um, at first I was like, I don't know. I was kind of laughing about it a little bit, but I think that if it could be done properly, I'm not well-versed in it, but I feel like if it could be done properly, like then it's obviously valuable. If your fans understand web 3.0 a little bit, um, and they're interested in it, and it's on brand with you as an artist, then I think it makes a lot of sense. If you're just going to like mint an NFT for the sake of minting some sort of an NFT that's tied to your music or tied to your art, I don't really know if that's really the best use of your resources. Yeah, I feel like the community like moves so fast. I got an NFT only like four months ago, you know, which is like years in the NFT Web3 community, seemingly from what I picked up. Um, and I, things have moved so fast since then, like, projects became a thing 10,000 you know nfts at once but now it's like people are minting songs as nfts and like you know things are moving very quickly in that regard but my perspective is like very nuanced in the sense of i feel like a lot of the the web3 nft people are very i want to say like idealistic in terms of like where things are going because i love that community i love like what's being built but my perspective is that until you can have a bridge for like the everyday fan, the everyday person to understand how they engage with Web3 and, and NFTs. It's going to be still like a very early adopter kind of type approach because like there's still this big onboarding onto what it means to be a Web3 enabled person or be a part of Web3 community. My little brother, he's like 17, 18. He doesn't care about NFTs. Like he doesn't have a wallet, you know? And that's like, I'm sure I can convince him to figure it out and finesse it, but he's still going to go on his Instagram, his Twitter, his YouTube, his TikTok, the Web2 communities that everyone kind of talks about all the time. And so my mind is really like, how do you bring, what's the bridge? How do you bring like the everyday person into this Web3 world using kind of things that they already understand? You know, people talk about Web3 replacing Instagram, Spotify, all these platforms. I don't think it's going to happen. There's unlimited distribution from these platforms but you enable a lot more opportunities through utility of like, what does it mean to own a certificate of something? You know, like say like an, a fan can fund an artist and have a certificate that's an NFT and now they're getting proceeds from every single time it's, it's streamed. Those are kind of the applications. But then it's like, how do you get a fan to like understand what it means to have a wallet, right. get them on board? 
Yeah, because when I was first learning about wallets, I needed someone to hold my hand really to figure it out. One of my friends who had gone through all the growing pains and then was like, okay, like, you know, I've made so many mistakes and I've lost a few thousand dollars going through this process. But like now, like I can show you how to do it so you don't really screw it up. And I still screwed it up. Yeah, <laughs> You know, like it's very complicated at the beginning, but then like the best way to learn it is just by doing it, right? You have to just kind of put yourself in that position to do it. It's not enough just to read about it. And artists can use their clout and leverage or their teams can use that to educate people on, you know, here's a step-by-step on how you can build your wallet and fund our new album. And then, you know, you'll own part of that. It'll be part of your project or, or you can have some sort of a yearbook integration, you know, like there's so much that can be done with tech now in the music space. And it's really just a blank canvas. Not hundred percent. I think that what you touched on though, is like, you have to just have someone handhold you. Like I had the same thing to get on board. You know, I have to like talk to my NFT friends and be like, yo, what's going on? And then they like explain it to me. It took me some time, but I finally got it. Definitely lost some money. It's just accessibility. I think accessibility and ease of use is what takes technology to the next level. And I have like two examples. One is, um, you know, back in the day when the internet was first coming out, like this is like right when I was born, like 95, 96, right? There's all these like early nerds on the internet. It used to be called Usenet, you know, all these like research academics at universities. Um, And they're like early on the internet and it'd be like an etiquette they'd follow, you know, it's like very academic and whatnot. And I was reading about this actually, because I was like setting up on this a little bit. And there was, a, there was a phrase in that community called eternal September, right? So like every September in the early internet days, new university of students would come to these research universities and get onboarded onto like that early version of the internet. And they'd have to learn the etiquette of the internet. Every September, there'd be all these new kids, research academics would be like, ah, like make sure you learn everything or don't stay on here. It's like an orientation. Exactly, exactly. That's how the internet used to be. And then there's a phrase, people would learn it, they'd stay on board, they'd be like, ah, screw this, I'm not trying to learn all this stuff. And they'd leave and not use the internet. And so this concept of eternal September was, it's referred to as that because there was one September, it was after AOL started giving out their CDs. The CMO of AOL was like, all right, like how do we get everyone on the internet trying America online? Let's just give away CDs. So you walk into a Burger King or a CVS or Walgreens, you know, all these like fast food and grocery stores. It'd be like a little floppy disk or a CD that's like, try your internet for like 30 days for free. Right. And so everyone, everyone got those and the internet kind of blew up from there. And so eternal September was like that one September after that happened, everything changed for these early users. Cause now there's all these like random Joe Schmoes like walking in, like a mom is like, oh, what's this internet thing? You know, I'm putting it into her computer and now she's got access to the internet. She's not learning the etiquette. She's just like a normal person, like just trying to get on the internet and get connected. And so, you know, everything changed after that September and it never stopped changing. And that's where we are today. We're like every day, more and more people come online. Um, those early days of people learning the etiquette of the internet is not a thing because everyone's connected now. So like that was a moment, that AOL moment, right? Where they're like, here's a CD, you get access to this, you can try before you buy it. And that changed everything. And then I think you think another thing was, uh, I look at it as like AWS when it first launched, you know, before AWS, you really have to buy a server. Like you have to buy a whole like $500,000 server and be like, all right, like this is how I get my internet online, my website online, my business online. And it'd be a real cost to get an online business up and running. And then AWS came out and they're like, all right, 
we got a bunch of servers. Y'all can rent out a little space on these servers and like put up your website or whatever. And that like paradigm shift changed everything and led to everything we see nowadays where like, you know, 99% of the world's things are run on like these web servers where you rent out space as opposed to owning servers. It takes like a technological paradigm and accessibility shift like that to make people get onboard onto these new technologies. And so for Web3, it's something similar I see I see it as, you know, like it has to be like a fundamental accessibility shift to get the masses on board. And things like I think Twitter is talking about adding like a, a crypto wallet to everyone's account. I've heard some of my friends at like these financial services companies that everyone uses have been telling me that they're about to add these crypto wallets to, uh, to these apps that we all use. And so I think those are the types of fundamental shifts that will get the general consumer onboard onto like Web3 in like this new world. Right, because that's the way to grow Web 3.0, right? Like they need more money being put into it. And, and the way that that's going to be done is, you know, people need to have virtual wallets. People need to understand. They don't even really need to understand the intricacies of blockchain or anything that's going on on the back end. They just need to have some sort of simple accessibility or simple orientation on this is what I'm doing. Like this is what cryptocurrency is. What scares me is when like my uncle or someone would just be like, oh yeah, Cardano. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, you know, someone's housekeeper says Solana. That freaks me out <laughs> because, you know, like on one hand, I'm like, great. Like, you know, it's, it's infiltrating, like it's getting out there, like these names. A lot of people who are investing in crypto right now are really just like, nobody's loyal, right? No one's really particularly loyal to a project or I'll say like in the masses, most people aren't loyal. They're just there to make a quick buck. That's why everyone's funneling their money into Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, which are shit coins. Right. You know, like these aren't projects with like real utility behind it. It's just Elon Musk tweeting about something and then some people get rich and most people lose money. Right. I actually made like $400 off Shiba the other day because randomly my barber, I went to get my haircut. My barber was like, you and Shiba? And I was like, no, what's that? And he's like, yo, I made $30,000 off Shiba. I was like, what the hell? Uh, so I put in a hundred bucks and like she posted that only like two weeks ago. I think it's like the 12th most traded coin now, randomly, for no reason other than general sentiment. This is what happens when you get two tech nerds in the music industry in a room. We start talking about crypto. We start talking about blockchain. We start talking about wallets and Web 3.0. One thing I wanted to ask from the integral side is like, how large a budget do your clients normally come to you guys with? And then how do you adapt your strategy accordingly? So usually like, it's like, Usually the minimum is like 10K. I mean, they go, they go from anywhere from like 10 to 100K. And a strategy is very different based on that budget, to be honest. Because like on one end, there's experimentation. So it's like, all right, we're going to test your budget on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, all these places. It's harder to do when you don't have as high of a budget. So we just rely on like we know, what we know works. Versus if someone comes with like a 100K budget, we're like, all right, like sprinkle on a little bit here, sprinkle on a little bit here. Let's try some... TikTok influencers, you know, we can really have more room for playing around at that range. But usually it's like just like 10 to 20K. That's like the average, you know, those are the 100 kids are usually outliers. But I think it, it scales a lot, you know, even when you have a, a client which is where Symphony comes in with like $400, you know, that strategy is very different than 1,000 versus 5,000 versus 10,000. Yeah, I, I can imagine so, right? My next question was going to be around um, cookies going away in the new year. How do you think that that's going to impact the marketing industry or specifically in the music industry? A lot. <laughs> very, very much. Um, iOS 14 
already changed a lot in terms of how targeting happens. Because you can't use the same like look like audiences you're using when you're targeting ads nowadays. And it impacts everyone, not just artists, but artists, I feel like have to use digital marketing more than ever now to get in front of new fans. So I think what's going to happen when cookies like really go away, which is what we're, we're going to get to is first party data becomes much more valuable. The thing that we were talking about earlier, owning your community, Discord, all of that, things like SMS, phone number lists, email lists, those are going to become much more paramount. Because if you own your community, you can reach out to them directly whenever you want, you know, as opposed to paying to reach them. You can always pay to reach new people. It just gets harder and harder and harder as these kind of data tracking things go away. So I think that's going to become more important. Like the email list that everyone like kind of hates on, at least in music, people are like, ah, email lists, like, you know, because no one like reads email nowadays. They're going to become way more important because like you're not going to be able to reach that person on Facebook, Instagram, as easily anymore. Um, and we're thinking about that a lot with Symphony too, is like we have our marketing tools, our marketing automation on these platforms, but what can we do to bring the first party data more at home for these artists? You know, SMS, email, Discord, WhatsApp. That's really where my mind's been out in terms of product roadmap. Right. First party data is the future. 100%. I know we've been, we're kind of beating this horse dead, but it's first party data is everything, engaging with your audience, building that community. And then going back to, you know, when I was shitting on labels earlier, it was, um, it's not because I hate labels. I actually think that they're great and they've provided a lot of value for a lot of artists. But, you know, any artist that I advise now, you know, even if it's just pro bono, I, you know, I, I'll always say, develop your foundation first. Understand who your core audience is and figure out your sound before going off and, you know, trying to get signed by a label. Because if if you don't know who you are as an artist and as talent, they'll decide for you. And that's probably not the best decision. You don't want someone dictating how your life is going to be run because that's usually how you end up in the waste bin. You got to find your own narrative. You can kind of take control of it. That's the beauty of these platforms out is you can like post whatever you want, be whoever you want, but it's also the downside because like another page would run with it and sell you however they want to, you know? Um, so I agree with that hundred percent. Like you got to really like, you got to own your narrative today. And like now more than ever, we have the tools to do it more easily than ever. Yeah. It's, it's all about your clout going into these meetings, right? Because obviously you can't do everything on your own. And as there is more technology coming out that, you know, a lot of people like I don't even know, but all the tech that's going on in the music industry, I try to stay on top of it, but try to find new companies just like Symphony OS, right? Like your company is going to be empowering artists to do what they couldn't do before all on their own. And is it expensive for artists to join? Nah, it's going to be pricing is still TBD, but it's going to be cheaper than paying for all these tools separately. It'd probably be like 30 to 40 dollars a month maximum. Yeah. And that's affordable, you know, for somebody who wants to invest in their art and invest in their career. Who's that record behind you? So that is um, SZA, Drew Barrymore. That's one of the singles uh, that we worked on when we were working with there. And we actually did the artwork for that back when we were trying to finesse and figure out what we can do as a business. Chuka was like, yo, let me just whip up this artwork real quick. And then the record came out and it went end up going gold. That's who that is. That's amazing. All right. Last question. What advice do you have for kids that want to get into the music tech space? Oh, man. Just jump in. You know, like, obviously, that's not great advice. But I say just jump in. Like, the, the beauty of today is that we're now in a, it's kind of like tech, right? Like, all the knowledge is open source. And that's something similar is happening in music where, like, 
now as more and more independent artists become a thing and it becomes a viable path, people are on Twitter like talking about independence and talking about what it takes to do X, Y, or Z. So just jump in, search for music tech people, like seek them out. I'm happy to talk to anyone as well and like help out however I can, but that's the only advice I can give. I don't think there's a playbook that you can follow on music. It's not like other industries where it's like, yeah, like I'm gonna do this and then this and then this. Like it's really just like you make you make it of what you can. And if you if you get lucky, you get you get a hit or a few. So just jump in, you know, it's just start learning. That's the only way to really start and start building yourself up. Dude, you've had so many good nuggets in this conversation. And like the one thing that I would take away from it also is like, you know, you were talking about being like a startup nerd. That was what your passion was. You were super into it. And then you had a moment where you're just like, well, this is stupid. This app, like how the fuck did they get a million dollars? Like, right. (laughs) Why are none of my brilliant ideas getting a million dollars? And you know, it's, it's mind blowing, right? There's a lot of factors that go into it, right? Which you probably know now being on the other side of it. But, you know, it's really just like, you were talking about reading a lot and just kind of like seeing what was out there. You were probably downloading new apps, testing them out. And like, that's how you learn, you know, you learn through that. And then you kind of like, take one passion and combine it with another passion. In your case, it was with tech and then music. And then you said, then you pivoted over and started reading like pigeons and planes and complex. And that's really how you learn an industry. You do that. And then you actually put yourself out there, start talking to people. It's not enough just to be in your room, in your bed, scrolling through Instagram and reading little snippets of what an artist is posting. Like, that's great. Stay on top of it. But at a certain point, you got to get out there and get yourself in front of people. Yeah. I think like one thing I always tell myself is you don't know what you know, or rather you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Meaning there's always new things that are left to be learned, new stones to be unturned, but you don't know what those stones look like until you actually have context of what the knowledge around those stones is like. It's a terrible analogy, but um, I hope it makes sense. You know, there's, there's always a new kind of branch of knowledge to learn about and you don't know that exists until you realize the context around it. Man, all right. Well, Meg, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experience. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.